0: You vote, I vote, we all vote and we're going to vote again. Next, on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host Barry Sheets, the executive director of the Institute for Principal Policy, and along with me today is our co-host, the chairman of our institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaels.
1: Barry, as always, it's great to be back with you on this beautiful day outside. I don't know what it's like in Gallipolis, but here it's approaching 80 and sunny. Yep.
0: It's sunny, it's warm, it's all good, and I'm looking at it from my what I call my compound control center here, from my bed in the living room. Because, As all of our listeners know, I'm working through the later stages of bone cancer, so I get to see it, but I don't get to enjoy it because
1: well, yeah. at, this,
0: at this point I am pretty much bedridden and it's okay because that's where God has me. And I get a chance to do a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of thinking, a lot of praying and get a chance to watch what he's doing. And boy, he's been busy. Boy, has he? Okay. just It has, just been, for, a, it has uh, been a big.
1: For mere purposes of clerical, this is our show for May 13th, 2023.
0: Indeed. And, you know, we're almost, Chuck, if you are a gardener or an outdoors person, when you said May 13th, you're looking at, because May 15th is usually, in our zone, the cutoff date for the last possible, uh, like, heavy frost or freeze you might have that could harm your plants if you plant them. So, everybody's looking, this coming week's going to be a really pretty one, hopefully, for people to get out there and plant their flowers and their field greens and all that other good stuff, so... Well, and that's always that's always lovely to watch, too. So,
1: you know, I worked in horticulture at Michigan State University for two years and we had plots uh, up in the Upper Peninsula and what well, we had far northern Michigan. Now, interesting up there, it doesn't affect the frost dates that much, but up in the far northern Michigan, in the upper peninsula, the last average day of frost up there, that's the date you're talking about down here is last average day of frost. And that's where you are May 15th. Up here, I think it's more like the 25th, something like that. Yep. And uh, in Michigan, it was June, uh, and, uh, a far up i think june 15th <laughs> so you know just depends where you are and how long your growing season is and blah blah we have a mutual friend ben peeper who's a farmer yes. i try to keep up with ben and see how he's doing and i asked him about planting He said i've got beans in and i'm not worried about them because they're a little hardy but it is, i have not put corn in yet
0: yeah well i know and it, it's been cold so yeah. We've had some weird weather.
1: Oh, and it's going to get weirder. No doubt. It's weird because out west in the Pacific, the ocean temperature is changing. And I'm trying to remember. I think it was warm and now it's cool. Okay. Um, and what causes that? Oh, man. It's way more complex than anybody really understands. Scientists will tell you they got a hand on it and that's how they can predict global warming and all that. They don't have a clue. <laughs> Honestly, they don't really know. The Pacific Ocean is gigantic. And I mean, get a glo- uh, don't get a map. Get a globe out and take a look at how big the Pacific Ocean is. And that's the deepest ocean in the world. There's a spot in, in uh, the Marianas Trench that goes down about 30,000 feet, something like that. It goes down more than Mount Everest is high. If that gives you an idea, and they've been down there, isn't that odd? They they've been able to put together a craft when which you can go down into into some of those depths, down twenty twenty five thousand feet, and there are some strange stuff down there. But it's testament to God's beauty and His purpose in that there are creatures that live that far down in the perpetual darkness of five or six miles down. In the ocean, there are creatures that live down there and thrive. Yes, there are. And they're scary looking things, too. They are. Well, some of them down ten, twelve thousand 12,000 feet carry their own light sources. Have to. They have to. Yeah. It's how they lure other animals in for them to eat. Brine shrimp and that kind of thing. Or other fish. Some of the scariest uh, memes that you see are every once in a while you spot this on Facebook. Somebody will have a meme up. It's done to look like a photograph, and it obviously isn't. Sure. Here's a guy who's about to be—he, you know, a normal sized guy, five, five ten, six feet, somewhere in there. He's about to be eaten by a giant fish, and right behind that giant fish, there's another giant fish who's coming to eat that fish. And yeah, like a megalodon, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like, it gives you pause. It evokes a, oh, I don't know, I, I guess any, uh, any visceral sort of uh, primitive fear. But nonetheless, it's not real. Are there such creatures? Yeah, there's there's a YouTube video, Barry. It scared the snot out of me. I, these guys are down about twenty three or 24,000 feet in this wow. bathyscaphe uh you yeah. know and they're all this the the pressure vessel is tiny i mean it's big enough to get a couple of guys in they can move around a little bit and they get down there and they flip the light on and here's this giant shark at the bottom and i mean giant shark oh yeah at the bottom and this shark gets disturbed and he says nothing down here moves real fast everything down here is slow well why well the pressure down here is tremendous uh, oh yeah. Unbelievably tremendous. They're they're acclimated to it. But also the temperature. It's below 0 down there in a lot of places. Below 0 Fahrenheit. Wow. Um, uh how can that be without forming ice? It's the pressure. Um indeed. That that essentially. But this shark man comes up out of the sand at the bottom or whatever the muck at the bottom and decides he or she wants to do an investigation of this And starts biting on the the appendages on this thing. And I'm like, man, one hydraulic line snaps and you could be in major trouble. Because they can't pull you like, right, it takes some time. It takes hours to get you down there and hours back. Yeah, 20,000 feet is not a quick drop. No. Um, And you better have all your oxygen intact. Because if it doesn't, they're going to pull up a couple of corpses. Corpses, yeah, I, I was going to say, but, yeah, there's not gonna know, be much. Work God is you. God is amazing, and He has allowed us the ability, developed the, the technology to go have a look. Yes, indeed. Uh, and He also has let us look at planets in our solar system. Enough of a look to know that, well, uh, despite Elon Musk, and he's an interesting chap, and uh, I think he has a lot of interesting things to say, and s- some some of it's absolutely spot on, some of it's goofy. This thing about having a colony on Mars, well, no, it's not compatible with human life. And I don't just mean on because of low oxygen, because of radiation, because of windstorms, all that stuff. Look, everybody who went to Mars to start a colony would end up dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I recently, I think he's come out and said, yeah, that would probably be true. The first people that go are going to die because it's six months out, six months back. We, we don't have, really have the technology yet. But God lets us at least have a look with rovers and things, probes that land on the planet and roll around and show us things. I always love those things. The the real paranoiacs on YouTube are like, look at that thing. that That's man-made. You know, they'll have a thing pointed at a rock uh No, it's rock, or it's a piece of debris from the lander that didn't land. It crashed. They've run into a couple of those things. They've run the one of the rovers over, and here's the tattered remains of one of the one of the probes we sent out that crashed. But that's always fun. I I know I'm way off topic. So,
0: no, 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 that's all good and well. But, um, yeah, there are the topic today that we want to talk about, folks is something that you, we want you to pay close attention to because in reality you're being asked to double down some effort in order to have a big big outcome. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a little action that took place yesterday. Uh we're recording this on Thursday and this was on Wednesday that took place on the floor of the Ohio House of Representatives. Now, yesterday was a very interesting day. Um I was not there, but I was living vicariously through some friends of mine who were there on the ground working it and covering it and me, you know, throwing in my two cents worth when necessary, which is not always necessary. But so yesterday uh, at the very last minute, Chuck, now I, I call this show theater. OK, I call it build up the drama queens so that it all looks like they've come in and riding their white horses. And save the day. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, They could have saved the day three weeks ago. Okay. This could have been over with weeks ago and not had all the tension, the drama and show theater. That was the whole afternoon yesterday. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a little piece of legislation. It's a resolution. And Chuck, you, you know, I've talked before about how much I can't stand resolutions. Right. Because I think they're worthless. This is the only type of resolution that actually has, An actual measurable outcome, and so if it has a measurable outcome, I am more at peace with working on them and moving them than I would for the ones that just say, "Oh, go tell your congressman that we like it this way." It's like,
1: who cares? You know, those (laughs) things aren't
0: worth the paper they're written on. But this one, don't
1: even know about them.
0: And this one is Senate Joint Resolution Two. Now, Senate Joint Resolution Two was introduced by uh, Senator Rob McCauley and Senator Teresa Gavara over in the Senate. A couple of really good folks. I like them a lot. Uh, They're both in Senate leadership. And the reason why the Senate leadership brought Senate Joint Resolution 2 is because it actually requires the Ohio Secretary of State to have a special election in August of this year, the first Tuesday in August. The purpose of the election is to determine whether or not the state constitution should be modified to require that any changes to the constitution by the process of a constitutional amendment must receive a minimum number of votes in order to be considered valid. Right now, the threshold for passing a constitutional amendment, once you go through all of the current standing rules regarding the type, the number of signatures, the review of the language, uh, the presenting of the language, the figuring out if it's one ballot issue or multiple ballot issues, etc., all still stand. They're all still in statute. This would say that instead of passing a constitutional amendment, which changes our Ohio Constitution and locks in our statutes to that constitutional amendment, would go from a threshold of getting 50% of whatever vote is cast in that election plus one, so a simple majority, to a constitutionally larger majority of 60% of the total vote cast in that election. So going from 50% plus one to 60%. Now, for those folks who are like, well, doesn't that keep people from the ballot? Well, yes, it would. It doesn't keep you from getting on the ballot with your initiative, and it doesn't change the requirements that you have to have in order to get onto the ballot and actually have the ballot language appear before voters in the election that is called or is scheduled for that piece of language. It just says that when you get to that piece of language, you have to get a what's basically a supermajority in order to change Ohio's constitution. Now, we still have the right of initiative. To bring a statute sure. and pass it by the voters and have the voters pass, and that's still at fifty percent plus one. So, statutory or the law or, or where we make the general laws, you can still bring an initiative and you can still get it at fifty percent plus one. But when we're changing the fundamental document of the state, our operating charter, as it were, the Ohio Constitution, now we're saying that's a bit more. We need to think through that a bit more and we need to make sure that a large enough percentage of the voters of Ohio who actually take the time and effort to engage their franchise and come and actually vote on an issue that we get at least 60 percent of the people agreeing to it in order to make what is really a fundamental change. Because once you change your Constitution, Chuck, it's hard to change it back or if you make a mistake, hard to fix it. So you need to be very thoughtful and introspective and careful about what you're doing here. And of course, the legislature thinks that that's a good idea because they really feel that the lawmaking power is theirs and that the people want to change the Constitution that should be at a high enough level that the people are sending a specific signal to the legislators that they want it exactly this way. Not that we got in just enough people and barely got that one nose through the door so that we can change it to do whatever we want, like run casinos or have everybody smoking recreational marijuana. Or the reason why this one was passed because a bunch of baby killers want to say that you can slaughter children up to the point of birth in Ohio, the abortion amendment or the women's health care amendment that's being circulated for petition right now by Planned Parenthood and A.R.R.L. and and their fellow hangers-on is a pernicious piece of evil that should never show up on the ballot in the first place. And SJR2 is trying to ensure that it won't, or that if it does, they will not be able to pass it. Because many of us, including myself, do not believe that there are 60% of the Ohio voters out there who think killing babies is a good idea.
1: This is a good constitutional plan. Yes, it, it is. And the the reason is you shouldn't be allowed to go out and make a sustained emotional argument that captures 50% of the electorate plus one.
0: Plus one, plus one like, random individual.
1: One random individual. What you've got to do is convince a supermajority that the fundamental founding law of the state... The Constitution, the document that guarantees how the state should run, how the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches do their business in their official capacity, that should not be allowed to be changed by a whim. No. Now, you are absolutely right. Here's what I will say my personal opinion. Let the lawsuits begin. The left will try and, and force an injunction. They will try to get a federal court involved. They'll go to the state Supreme Court. They'll also file on a federal court to get this overturned. If the Supreme Court weighs in on this, the state Supreme Court, then they should be immediately turned out. Actually, they should probably be impeached by the legislature because th- this idea that somehow a... A minority, or really, uh, when you think about who votes versus who could vote, and right. this is this is why I always, when I'm just des- redesigning uh, like a bylaws, I always put in a super majority, but a super majority not of the members present, right, but of the entire membership of a board. I always add that clause. You cannot allow smart move. move. I've laid these out before. In fact, I did it for RUC and I took a look at something and I go, do you realize three people, three people could, could change your bylaws. And she goes, how? And I go, a quorum is six or no, a quorum, a quorum was five. Quorum was five. Yeah. And 50% plus one is three." three. I said, but you've got 10 members on your board you need to fix this. So minimum of six votes positively. Exactly. Um, And which means you got to crack the whip and get the people. If you want to change in your bylaws, you got to crack the whip and get people to your, and I rebuilt those bylaws on that basis. I'm like, you've got several places where actual minorities of members can change the rules. And that's what happens in Ohio elections. When you've got a, a constitutional amendment on a ballot initiative if you look at what percentage of people, I mean, forty percent is a high turnout for an election. Yeah, especially an off-year election. So let's say you got fifty percent. Let's say ten million people uh, are out there eligible. I don't know what the actual number is. What we're going to work okay. Right well, on. okay. Ohio has eleven point seven million people. Okay.
0: About eight. About eight million. Um. Oh, no, no, nine million are eligible to vote.
1: There you go. 9 million. It's a good number to work with. Let's say 9 million, but only 40% are uh actually are going to vote.
0: Yeah, so that's 3.3.6 point, point 3.
1: million. That's 3.6 million out of a out of uh 9. Right. So just over a third. Just over a third, and only 50% of those vote for it. Right. So that's 1.3 million. 1.3 million just told yeah, 2, the other 2, million 11 million, million people 1.8 1,
0: 1. 1. 1.8 1. 8. All yeah,
1: right. yeah. Th- that that they get to tell the rest of the electorate what they can and can't do on the basis of getting one point eight or one point, whatever the number was. Yeah,
0: one point eight plus one.
1: So 11, 11 million people need. Uh, um, basically, under two million people can tell the eleven million people what to do. Right. What's the only answer, you know, to get more people to vote? We have to make it mandatory. We're not going to do that. But Voting is a right, but it's not something, it's not a requirement for exactly. citizenship. Um, because there are a whole bunch of people, uh, for instance, the Amish live in, in Ohio. They're counted in the census, so they're counted in the population. Yep. Um, are they part of the system? No, they're virtually withdrawn. Virtually withdrawn, except in certain instances. Very limited, yeah. They well, when it when it's convenient, he <laughs> said. Well, I
0: mean, in, in, they came out. They came out for the marriage amendment. Let's put it that way.
1: Yes, they did, and uh, I remember that now that you mention it, because that was what two thousand and four. Four, yeah, two twenty o four. Yep, but. That being said, that's why you have to change this. Because even at, at this, if forty percent vote, you got sixty percent of forty percent. If you have this requirement, sixty mm-hmm. percent uh, of forty percent is not that high. Uh, no, two point four. It's two point four million people. But nonetheless, you have a much higher number who have thought through the issue and are not necessarily emotionally driven right 60 percent gives you a much better opportunity to say yes this was actually thought through and not knee-jerked because the way they're selling this amendment the one amendment that we've got so far that's that i know of that's being uh, signatures are being gathered for how's it being sold health care women's health care women's health care and children's health care. Right. But it's basically open the floodgates for transgender surgeries and abortion on demand. Exactly. And that's exactly what they're not doing. This is not health care. Uh, no, murdering babies in the womb is not health care. Um, and uh, um, surgically removing parts and adding more to a a, an, a child is not health care. In it's fact, not healthcare. It's, it's detrimental To health in both cases.
0: Right, exactly, exactly.
1: Uh, It's detrimental, especially to mental health in uh, in the case of abortion. But it's also 50% of the patients die in an abortion, if not more, depending on whether there are multiple fetuses or not. Uh, Mm -hmm. and Especially in uh, fetus reduction surgery, the most... I'm amazed at people that are very nonchalant and cavalier about, well, we saved one. Yeah, but you may have gotten rid of six. You got you, you possibly got rid of six, but you saved one. What are you going to do about those six? You've basically treated them like trash. Sure. They're unwanted and, and all that. Okay. Well, the idea you have to think through those things and that's not what's happening in in, in this in this campaign to get these. I've I've seen the stuff uh, we have cable television here, and we have S- Spectrum, and Spectrum has its own news service. And I had someone ask me what I thought about Spectrum News Service. I said, well, it's it's a, uh, a CNN wannabe. If you, you find somebody who's an ultra-liberal, uh, who has a good voice and maybe an, a nice presentation on the screen, and can twist the story until there's no facts left in it. Has the basic outline of of the facts, but no, contains no actual factual material. And I said that's what you get on Spectrum News Network. And I'm sure that some of these people will end up at places like CNN. I would name some other news places that they might end up. A lot of those are folding up. A lot of the woke news services are folding up. Let's see. What was the one? There were two of them that folded up inside of a week. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. And, and Vice, I think. And Vice. Yeah. BuzzFeed and Vice folded up inside of a week. Um, why? Because basically they were being, being propped up by liberals who were pumping money into it with the promise that at some point it would catch on liberals dumped money. For instance, in, in another case, do you remember air America? I remember the, the movie. Yeah, no, no, the, the liberal, um, talk show network.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. With Alan Colmes and those guys. Oh
1: gosh. It had all, all the bad players were on air. Al America. Franken and yeah, exactly. Um, and we always called it, you know, they spelled it a I R America. And we always spelled spelled it E R R America,
0: Air America, Air that's America.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. What kept that alive? People were dumping uh, leftist corporations, big namers, were dumping money into the thing because nobody listened to it. No, it was it was pretty worthless. It's the same thing with BuzzFeed and and Vice and and several other MSNBC. MSNBC pulled a lot of their teeth in their liberal teeth in why because nobody was watching or listening nope and they still don't and that's what's wrong with CNN CNN took a a left center news outlet that actually I watched a lot just because I wanted to be able to get news that was breaking and that kind of thing back in the day so there wasn't any Fox News basically uh the local news things were on at uh, noon, five, and eleven. Right, exactly. If you wanted news in between, and yeah, you went to CNN. Well, uh, mm. the Trump era essentially drove a stake through what was left of the heart. Uh, Ted Turner, as as big a liberal scumbag as he was. One thing he did do right was he, he said, you know, we we don't want some of this stuff. Yeah, don't overdo it. Don't oversell it. And there were a lot of people that a lot of people trusted. Now, the Gulf War sort of killed off trust that some of the people had. Some of the, some of the very, they would come out and, and not to appear to be pro-U.S., they mm-hmm. became pro-Saddam Hussein. Well... well. <laughs> This is the. This is not a good way to be. If you no, want it, it's to, not. It's if not. You, if you want true neutrality, you go in and ask everybody the tough questions. But of okay, Don, well, I, 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 w-
0: I want to jump on this for a minute if you yeah. don't mind. Uh, this ties right back into what we're talking about about SDR two vote. Yes. Now, as people may know, uh, last night Wednesday, Donald Trump, who is he, has announced he's running for president again. Right. He's the twenty-four. Uh, was on, CNN gave him a town hall, which the liberals are losing their minds over. They can't believe that CNN opened the floodgates and let him, let him talk. But during his town hall last night, he said something prescient. And I want to read it because it ties exactly into what just happened yesterday afternoon on the floor of the Ohio House. And so basically, he said, quote, that the Supreme Court's decision To overturn Roe v. Wade was a great victory, and here's how he summed it. Quote, it was such a great victory, and people are starting to understand it now. You know that they wanted to bring it back to the States, but that was probably the least important part of that victory. Getting rid of Roe v. Wade was an incredible thing for pro-life because it gave pro-life something to negotiate with. Period. He is spot on. And he goes on to say pro-life had absolutely nothing being stuck in the Roe v. Wade rubric to negotiate with. And now what's happening, and I see it all over, deals are being made, deals are going to be made, and look, everybody that was president tried to get rid of it. And he was interrupted by the uh, moderator who said, you mean Republicans? And he goes, Republicans are 50 years like this has been going on. Actually, a couple Democrats too, but for 50 years this has been going on. I was able to do it and very honored to do it, But by doing it, things are happening that are very, very positive. And he says, and now for the first time, the people that are pro-life have negotiating capability because you didn't have it before. And And he's absolutely spot on. Once you took away the legality of Roe v. Wade, you
1: opened the doors. And that interjection by the reporter also says... It, it denies the fact that before the Trump era there were pro-life Democrats. There are pro they were pro-life Democrats. they hadn't been flushed out of the party yet. That's right.
0: And we had those in Ohio as well. Um, but what happened yesterday at the Ohio House was the fact that pro-lifers had something to negotiate with. We came in, came in strong, and said these changes need to be made to keep these people from changing the Constitution. And killing babies under the rubric of our organic laws, because there is nothing more repugnant to the organic laws of a state than the willful, um, imposition of, of standards that violate the word of God. And killing babies to birth violates the will of God and the word of God. And so therefore, he's absolutely dead on right. And what happened yesterday was you saw the Democrat caucus, which has 32 members in a 99-member House, um, and their fellow travelers in the gallery of all the pro-aborts, actually created such a ruckus and such a disturbance that the Speaker of the House actually called for the, the uh, sergeants-at-arms to clear the entire chamber. Nobody was left in the galleries. They they ran them all out. And and you see all, and there's, a, there's photos on social media of the leader of the Democrat caucus, Alison Russo from Upper Arlington, and a bunch of her hangers-on, all with these signs and placards. And, you know, they were trying to do street theater on the floor of the House, which is violating the decorum of the House, showing just exactly how radical these people are, just exactly how unfit for service And for office they are, and it paid off because when the vote was cast, the final vote tally on SGR two to put it to put a special election in August that will determine if the uh, pro aborts have to get to sixty percent in November was passed by a vote of sixty two to thirty seven. Chuck. Yes. So it made the sixty percent. You know, it made the sixty percent provision it had to have, but as you know. As we've talked about before, the reason why Jason Stevens from my um, district down here is the speaker of the house is because he pulled a coup and took 22 of his Republican members and got with 32 of the Democrats, promised them the moon, and then got then took over the speakership uh, in a in a rump parliament. And we call the Republicans who went with him the Blue 22. Well, if you think about it, the actual split between Republicans and Democrats in the House of Representatives right now, there are 67 Republicans and 32 Democrats to make up the 99 members of the chamber. Five Republicans, what I call double down on blue. They went and voted with the Democrats to say they don't want a 60 percent threshold. They're okay with the pro-aborts getting on the ballot to kill babies up to birth. Um, and that they are really uh, worse than rhinos. OK, these folks should be caucusing with the Democrats, not with the Republicans. And the five members who did that, who voted against this, are Jamie Callender of Lake County. Who, so not surprisingly, Chuck, he and one of the other members who voted with the Democrats are trying to push for a ballot initiative for recreational marijuana. Oh, uh-huh. OK. So it's in their best interest not to make it a 60 percent threshold. So him and Jeff LeRae, who is his fellow traveler on the marijuana thing from Lancaster. So those two guys, you had Tom Patton from Cuyahoga County, who has already been censured and removed from county party. uh, you know, the, the county Republican Party uh seats on the executive and the central committee. Because he went with the Democrats to elect Stephen Speaker. Well, Tom Patton jumped in and voted with them. Uh, and so there's three. And then the other two were Brett Hudson Hillier from Tuscarawas County, who is the criminal justice chairman of the house. Uh, but he's okay with gaming the constitution in order to allow the allow baby killers to say babies can be killed up to birth. And your teen kid can get sex change surgeries without your knowledge. Um, not a good guy. And of course, that the last, uh, one in the, in the group of five or the double blue caucus, as I'm calling them, um, is, um, Jay Edwards from uh, Nelsonville down in Southeast Ohio and, and Athens town. Now, Jay Edwards is the chairman uh, of the, finance committee chairman for Jason Stevens. So any bills that have an appropriation like the budget and others have to go through his committee. These five basically swore a pact with the labor unions and the Democrats and they're sticking to it. Uh, Again, that makes me wonder why any of these five members should be allowed to continue to caucus with the Republican caucus. They are showing through their actions that they are not—they're not even rhinos. Okay, uh, they are—they are—they are mercenary for hire.
1: Let me ask you a question and, then. Um, um, put your analytical hat on. Is some of this showing the uh, a desperation on the Blue Twenty Two to stick with the coalition because they see it weakening? And oh, weak- absolutely, a- absolutely. Okay. Uh, that's what I got, but you know I'm <laughs> I rely on you for this kind of stuff. No, uh, no, you're you're right on it. That's exactly what's going on. Um, they can see that. that well, uh, with that threat, uh, I believe there was a threat, uh, uh today or yesterday, that uh, um, there was talk of um, essentially a no confidence vote in the in the speaker.
0: Well, that you know, and that's the, that was the Dems threatening. And, well, if you don't stick to the stick to the plan, see, the Democrats thought they had it in the bag. Oh, we have got Stevens, and he won't. You know, he'll never let this go through, and he almost didn't. I mean, yesterday, May the tenth was the hard deadline, Chuck, for the the ability to call a special election in August. If they had missed the de- the window, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, couldn't have happened by by the Constitution. So Jason Stevens played with, played you know, footsie with the Democrats all the way up until the last second to the point where it was going to cost him. And so they put out a threat that they might try to vacate the chair if he did let the the bill go through. But of course they don't have the votes. Okay. They could get 30, they could get five Republicans to come over and vote with them out of those 22. And I don't think they've got the votes. Now, the other thing is I would love to see him try. Right. I would love to see him bring it, bring it on the floor to vacate the chair because They can do that, and if they get enough votes from people on the floor, you can vacate the speakership, and Jason Stevens would lose his speakership. But because the Republicans are in the majority, it's only the Republican caucus who would determine who the next speaker is, and the Dems would not be able to pull the same game that they just pulled with Stevens because everybody's aware of it, and the Blue 22 would be doubling down on the most stupid thing they could double down on if they tried to do it
1: again. I'll be quite honest. Uh, now in some of those districts, I mean, you said the one fellow was from Nelsonville. Yeah. Not exactly a bulwark of Republicanism down there. I don't think. Yes, it is actually. Is it now? It didn't use, it used is, to it be is actually swung, swung very hard. Yeah. Uh, that's, it, it's a Donald Trump area. That's a, that's due to uh coal mining and, uh, the whole collapse of the, uh,
0: the whole collapse of the industrial sector. Yeah.
1: Yes, the industrial sector. A lot of those people are angry uh, because of yeah. Other,
0: other than the People's Republic of Athens, where Ohio University sits, well, that look, entire region down there is not Democrat.
1: You, you know, there's there's a way to solve that problem. I, I've I've said this all along. It, when I was a kid in uh, like the late '60s, early '70s, as a college student, you had to live in Ohio for a year before you could be considered an Ohio resident for the purposes of voting. Right now it's 30 days. It's 30 days. Um, the way you can do this is say, okay, you college students, and, and this would change the way a lot of college towns are run as well. You can't vote in our municipal election. You have to vote in your home election. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't register to vote here because you're not a resident. You are a part-time um you're a part time. You basically rent a room here, but you're you're not in here for the long haul. You know, I I live uh, six miles from Granville. Granville is uh um it's a college town. Denison University's here, and they can change the the outcomes of elections by having the you know the students register in town and vote in town. And in fact, what should be happening is all those students should be voting in their in their home elections where they actually live because most of those on graduation day they're going to pull up with a van load your stuff into the back of it and gone they're not going to stay in granville no and that's what happens in all the college towns i mean east lansing when i was up at east lansing uh it was the same thing east lansing was a bastion of liberalism uh lansing was kind of a mixed bag because it was it was um it was a blue collar community, but it was kind of conservative for a blue collar community. That's why we got weird mixes of uh, uh, <laughs> representation. Um, you know, uh, uh, just before I left, Debbie Debbie Stabenow, you, you know who she is, the senator from Oh Michigan. yes, oh yes, Debbie Stabenow was our state senator, and we worked and worked and worked to to get her out of office. At one point, she had run for lieutenant governor. And I still remember the day I walked in the day after. uh, John Engler was the governor. And it was Howard Wolpe, who was a congressman from Kalamazoo area, as I recall. Howard Wolpe and uh, Debbie Stabenow running for uh, uh, um, governor and lieutenant governor. And uh, the economy had really come back. Like, really, really, really come back. It was in a, when we first moved to Michigan in the 80s. Uh, five dude it was in bad shape and uh, the Republicans it was so bad the Republicans took over the Mich- Michigan legislature which is all but unheard un all but unheard of and then we got a Republican governor well John Engler um, and so uh, Wolpe and uh, Stabenow were going to try to take it back and their big campaign thing was if you remember this it was anti-gun and uh, Howard Wolpe was going to get street sweepers out of the hands of, uh, you know, inner city youth. Do you even remember what a street sweeper was? Now I know what they, what the things were and nobody sold, really... off, sold off 12 gauge in it. It was a sawed off 12 gauge with a, a round magazine. Right. So it looked really evil and it was all, all but a useless gun. Um, it, Um, nobody I knew was clamoring to go out and buy a street sweeper, but they showed Howard and and Debbie Howard standing there holding the street sweeper. Uh, We're going to get rid of these. And Debbie standing behind him doing what Debbie Stabenow does best. She gets this smarmy uh, fake sincere look on her face. Just like, Oh yes, yes, Howard, we're going to do that. Well, I can remember walking into the office uh, two of my best friends were were deeply liberal, uh, uh, con- uh, convicted Democrats. And uh, I walk in, they start talking about the election, and they start talking about uh, Wolpe and, and uh, Debbie. And uh, the election results had been very clear, like 65-35. I mean, John Engler got elected by a, a landslide. And they were talking about, oh, what if we'd done this and done that? And I go, oh, you two voted for Wolpe and and Stabenow. Yes, you're the ones. You're the two that voted for them. And they both started laughing because <laughs> they knew that was a fact. Nobody voted for him. Up in Michigan, you don't you don't go in and talk about gun bans and get elected. Yep. That's why you 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 will see congressmen except from the Detroit area, and senators kind of pussyfooting in Michigan around that particular issue. They'll come out and vote for a gun control measure, but they'll do it in such a way very stealthily. They won't be on the news jabbering about it. Uh, They don't call up the press and say, I voted against, I voted for that bill. Why? They don't want that publicity. That'll get them unelected. Even Debbie now, uh, she she's still very pro uh, pro gun control, but the fact is that she's very careful about how she she does some of those things because Michigan has become a swinger. Yeah, become a swing state exactly. Um, it's a little it's a little more blue, but it swings back and forth. Um, th- and the problem they're going to run into the, these guys, uh, you know that. Uh, down in areas that that were staunchly democrat uh coal mining towns and that kind of thing uh the united mine workers were flat out always for the democratic candidate always 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 and when those jobs started to dry up and the unions did nothing they said they, people would go to them and say, you know, you promised us we were going to keep our jobs, and yet here's the guys we're electing who are trying to take our jobs away. They want to shut the mines down. There's no answer for that. It tends to drive people who who know which side the bread is buttered on into the other camp. And that's what's happened. That's why a lot of those Those old, uh, uh, you know, uh, Appalachian counties have gone, uh, you know, a lot of places. Uh, Youngstown has sort of trended Republican after being a Democratic, an absolute Democratic stronghold. Right. Because it it used to make steel there. When was the last time a steel plant was open in Youngstown? 40 years ago? What what good did the Democratic Party do when all the jobs were being sent away to uh, China and Japan and, and uh, wherever steel is manufactured now? Not here. Um, it, it may not be exactly correctly thought through, but that, these are the facts. And that's what these guys are dealing with. They're dealing with a dynamic. I think they were kind of betting on... Ohio turning back a little bit more blue, and it doesn't seem like that's getting ready to happen. No, even with the last election, it didn't really happen. Um, And some of that stuff on the last election, let's face it, uh, major shenanigans. One thing I'm disturbed about is that Ohio is doing nothing really to protect uh, results with tightening up the election laws. Um, They may think it's tight enough and I, I've seen um, Frank LaRose out there, uh, you know, we're able to beat this and blah-de-blah-de-blah. Blah, blah. No, you're not, dude. No. Tons of money is going to come in, and uh, um, lots of fake J There are people that are still taking Dominion voting machines. That shouldn't be happening. Uh, the, uh, voting machines in which the software is is proprietary, in other words, it can't be looked at to examine for voter fraud it can't be transparent it can't be transparent and also where votes are counted in foreign countries no thank you yeah. no thank you that's right that's a problem that shouldn't even that, that should never have been even considered no and yet there are places that took here the, we are that's right it uh, took the dominion voting machines yeah um, here we are yeah here we are and that's what happened in Maricopa County in Arizona. That That's why. Look, you don't need to get those things into every precinct in the country. Where do you got to get them? In the key precincts in a state. Indeed. Atlanta. You know, Fulton County and surrounding counties. Where you can uh, slide in and like eight or nine suitcases full of ballots. Bingo. Uh, Pittsburgh. Philadelphia. With again, another place where do you really think that uh, uh, Fetterman won that election? I, I will say the Republicans were, uh, and Trump should have a, a boot print on his backside for this. Really, Dr. Mehmet Oz? I, there are certainly conservative candidates in Pennsylvania. That could have and should have beat Mehmet Oz, but he got Trump's endorsement and that Trump Trump's endorsement uh, mechanism is busted.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully that'll change somewhat.
1: Well, we're hoping so. But uh, as we were talking about with Ron Hood uh, there in your living room, the problem seems to be Don Jr. Yes, indeed. Um Eric Trump seems to have his head on straight. Don Jr. uh well Don Jr. <laughs> was a guy coming out and saying we need to end this uh Anheuser-Busch boycott. Yeah. The one of the most effective boycotts uh so far in recent history. Um I mean Anheuser-Busch is just not uh, just being stopped from selling Bud Light. They're being stopped from selling Bush and Anhe- uh uh Budweiser, uh Modelo, all those brands are uh, that are A B in Bush or A B um oh, InBev. Inbev. Um, pardon me, yeah, I kinda lost it. Which by the way is a foreign country. If a uh, foreign company. If you see all these ads, uh, Bush is back to running uh, um uh, I saw one the other day on YouTube where it was two hunters out being chased by a bear. And this guy said, uh, if you know, if you're being chased by a bear, sometimes if you make a loud noise and he cracks open a can of, of uh, uh Bush beer and, and he throws them each a case of Bush beer and he says, make yourself bigger. So they're holding this Bush case over their head and oh, yeah. make, make a loud noise and open the can and the, and the bear, takes off and but he grabs one of the cases of bush you know (laughs) and i'm like that's not gonna work the the americanism the outdoorism all that stuff people are onto you man and it's the it's a beautiful thing to see because people are kind of can can be fickle and they may end up still being fickle but the fact is it this is a good thing to watch uh it's a good thing to watch them struggle um they tried blaming the victim for a while, uh, tried blaming us for this problem for a while. It's like, no, 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 that's not working. It's making it worse. Uh, finally, the uh, the the American, the the brand uh, Anheuser-Busch guy had to come out and say, we don't know who came up with this stupid advertising campaign. People are going to lose their heads. Uh, we're repudiating. Uh, we never should have uh, come out and made this commitment to this to this well wait you can't you can't say man because he says he's not a man um and uh we, we never never should have made a commitment to this person um and now what have they got now well they've taken that stand sort of and now they're being kicked out of gay bars so when you he went for losing that's right there's nothing now that they can do to recover this. Just they need to shut up and go away, and you know, take the st- slings and arrows for about six months, and then come back and say, "Okay, we're sorry. We're here to sell beer. We're not here to make a political statement." Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, will that happen? Depends who they listen. Now, the human rights campaign part. Part of the reason this gets done is because the human rights campaign issues a. A grade, right? They do an, an they do annual grades, and for every corporation, if they come out and do something that advances the cause of LGBTQ plus IA or whatever, you know, the whole uh, alphabet, yeah, twenty nine letter uh, mess. Uh, and if you do something to, if you remain neutral, or you do something that they view as undermining. Uh, LGBTQIA plus, um, you get a bad grade. Well, that means that what what does that actually mean to your business? Do you, uh, tell me, Barry. Do you go out and and check the human rights campaign um, grade card before you buy something?
0: Well, actually, I do. Because I do. I yeah, we it.
1: both do. Yeah. But uh, high grades get no business. Low grades get more business basically <laughs> we, yeah. we kind of go with the opposite or um, you look for companies that are not on the list yeah exactly who's not on there my company isn't on there as far as i know if i if it as is as, know, uh, as far
0: as i know your company and mine and
1: mine would be on the other list the i was gonna say businesses we want to get rid of i i'm the one who would have a zero percent um, Yep. because i take a new, uh, somebody comes in and wants to uh, do you do things for gay this or that no i don't but I also don't do anything for other things. I have a certain uh, political stuff that I give to and, and sexuality uh, perverse sexuality is not one of them. Um, but that being That's said, good know. <laughs> where do you get hurt by that human rights campaign grade? You get hurt at the uh, business to business level, right? Because the corporations are so loaded up with woke, uh executives they do pay attention to that sadly enough yes sadly enough so what happens uh they may find themselves ostracized from a contract that they may desperately need to to uh get their um stuff done So, therefore, they do pay attention to it that's the okay that kind of thing is what you have to snap and here we're looking at Anheuser Bush finding out that once you step over one line, if you try to step back behind the line or even on the line too late, baby, you will be caught in the, you'll be caught in the jaws of the bear trap you're caught in the crossfire. How do you think it's going to work out for you if you're caught in the crossfire? Well, I've always said, you know, people who uh, who uh, try to stay in the middle while there's a shooting war going on, they get shot at from both sides. They get shot from both sides. That's right. And that's what's happened to Anheuser Busch. Now, it has nothing to do with necessarily with what we're talking about, but it does because it, the same thing is going on in the Ohio Legislature. These this is people, true. these people have chosen the Blue 22 have chosen to uh, um, hook their wagon to a star that may not make it through the whole term and certainly will not, uh, and, uh, barring a major sea change in the way, uh, you know, in the, in the electoral process in Ohio. Uh, do you think Stevenson's going to get reelected as the speaker? Zero no, no. Steven,
0: Stevens, Stevens is a one term speaker at best, at best, at best. Uh, so, you know, he's already seen the uh, the lights go down. And once they get the budget done at the end of June, when it has to be in place by July 1st, I can see that the, the summer, uh, especially if the pro aborts actually get their signatures and make the ballots, is going to be a very uncomfortable summer for Jason Stevens. Yes. Um, And the Blue 22. Now, folks, you know, one of the things I want to completely reiterate here before we, we run out of time is that there are three things that we're going to ask you to do, keep in mind, and commit to. The first piece is when you're out this summer and going to fairs, festivals, going to fill your car up with gas, going to events, you know, going to parades, whatever, you're going to be confronted with people who are getting paid up to $25 an hour to try to get you to sign the petitions so that they can get on the ballot to kill babies and to totally sexually wreck our young children. Okay. Decline to sign, refuse it. Uh, these folks are, you know, we, we've got on videotape somebody from Michigan who, who admitted they're getting paid 25 bucks an hour to, to collect signatures. You know, yep. the pro boards have a lot of money. And they're trying to do this because this is their fait accompli. If they can turn Ohio into a, into a bloody blue state, they're going to. And yep. they, do, they don't want to look back and they want to put it in the Constitution so that they can always kill babies. We have to stop that. The first way we stop it is you talk to your folks in your church, in your workplace, in your, your neighborhoods. Uh, you make yourself aware of what's going on. Um, you know, a, a number of groups are coming together, Protect Ohio Women is a very good organization of pro-life groups, pro-family groups, all coming together to bring the message of what they're actually trying to do and hoping we can get you and your church and your community and your tea party groups and others to basically say, we are drawing the line here. God's laws are not going to be violated by these bunch of uh, sexual rebels in Ohio. So decline to sign their petitions because they have until July the 5th in order to submit almost 700,000 signatures in order to get on the ballot. We want to stop them from getting on the ballot. If they do, then what we want you to do is the first Tuesday in August, you get prepared. I don't care if you've got vacation. I don't care if your kids have got a ball game that day. You figure out a way to get to your ballot box or pull an absentee ballot and you vote in favor of SJR2 that says that if you're going to put an initiative a constitutional amendment on the ballot you have to get 60% of the vote in order for it to pass and so you that- have to vote, you have to vote yes in august on SJR2's provisions in order to make sure that when they get to november they don't have an easy time of getting getting it in the constitution
1: there you go and, and, and then the that- third Whoa. one
0: oh, and go. the third is vote in november against the abortion
1: there you go sorry i had to jump in there we're way out of time you know what we we think you know what we think we want to know what you think www.principledpolicy.com that's principledpolicy.com and join us again next week for another principles and policies